just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Tuesday. We're cooking through yet another week. Thursday is the next January 6th hearing. And as I promised, I'm sure there's going to be some big bombshells that come out on that day. I'm anxious to hear what happens. I think there's going to be a lot of Republicans shook up after that fucking hearing. But we'll just wait and see what happens. We'll be listening very closely. And of course, we'll be talking about it here on the Rational Boomer podcast. Now, earlier tonight, I spent some time talking to a gentleman. You might know him if you're on TikTok. His name is Tony Michaels. He's a young guy. And he's got an interesting delivery on TikTok. He talks a lot about politics, but he's walking down the street. He's got the phone in his hand. He's yelling and screaming, and it's 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 kind of entertaining. I mean, after a period of time, it might get a little rough to listen to, but he's kind of entertaining. And we had talked when we both started, and uh, he wanted to reconnect today. And he's doing a podcast and such. But I got talking with him for a while, and it was interesting. You know, he's probably in his 30s. I'm 62. We're different generations. He could be my fucking kid. But I do have to give him some respect for knowing his stuff. He does his homework. He understands what's going on. And he knows how to talk about it, too. So we were going back and forth, just catching up and doing all that sort of stuff. And I said, you know, you know, maybe you should do my podcast. I mean, what we did here, just talking, was almost a podcast. Why don't you do a podcast with me? Now, that would step outside the normal terms of what I would do a podcast on. It would be primarily listeners or maybe Ed. I, I thought maybe he would fall more in the category where Ed falls into uh, because he's somebody I've talked to before. I was on his podcast a long time ago. It was a video podcast, so I thought, what the fuck? I'll put him on my podcast. But as I got talking to him, I realized, this kid knows his shit. He's got a different kind of delivery than what you're used to hearing with me, but he does know his stuff. And I know we have some younger people in the audience, so I thought, well, let's see what the younger crowd has to say. I'm not sure that Tony and I will agree on everything totally we both have strong opinions and we both don't typically shut up so it could be in an entertaining show i talked to him i said if you're available friday let's do something so we'll see if that happens i'm looking forward to it i'll no doubt talk to uh, ed here sometime soon next couple of days for sure and i've said to the audience of course any of you that want to be on the show you're more than welcome. If you've never been on, now is the time to do it. Don't be afraid. We've had a number of people on the show, and it's gone well every time. And I can guarantee you it will go well when you decide to come on. Now, if you've been on before, that uh, that is fine, too. I know Fred was talking to me about being on with Ed and I again. I'm trying to set that up. Uh, and if we can do it, great. If not, just me and Fred, whatever. It doesn't matter. Fred's a good a good co-host. 
He's been on the show a couple of times at least before, and I'm anxious to get him back on. But I'm looking for some new blood, too. Some of you folks that haven't stepped up as yet. You don't have to be afraid. I won't let you fail. We'll get through it, and after it's done, you'll say, fuck, that was easy. That was simple. So think about it. If it's something you want to do, just email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. We'll set up a time, and we'll get it done. Now, as we start this podcast, I have a couple of emails I want to address. Now, you'll hear me do this from time to time with this little pause. I'm drinking water because I had a little bit of a cold, as you know, and I got a scratchy throat. You can even hear it in my voice still. I feel fine, but a bit of a scratchy voice. And when I talk for extended periods, I get to points where I have to cough. Now, typically, a drink of water will stop that. But if it doesn't and I cough, I go back and edit that shit out because you don't want to hear me hacking on the fucking podcast. So hopefully I get all the coughs out of there before it comes out to you. Now, as I said, we've got a couple of emails. This first one comes from Jesus. um, And he's written before. Nice guy. Intelligent guy. He says, hi, Mike. Hoping you're doing well. Years ago, I remember a pamphlet that you could find all over the place called Food for Thought that sums up your program. It gives us lots to think about. One of the thoughts that has crossed my mind is Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon and your thoughts on whether you think when Trump and his cronies are convicted, if the next time a Republican is elected president, he would do the same thing for them. Thanks. Appreciate you and your show, Jesus. Well, you have to understand, when Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon, that was kind of a preconceived deal. Um, Nixon had to replace Spiro Agnew because Spiro Agnew got indicted, not for political things, but for financial things. So he replaced Spiro Agnew with Gerald Ford. Now, Gerald Ford had been in Congress for a long time. He was on the Warren Commission back when Kennedy died. Um, So he'd been around a long time, and he made Gerald Ford the vice president. And I think at the point he made Gerald Ford vice president, he knew he was going to be kind of on his way out. So he cut a deal with Gerald Ford. I'll make you VP. I'll resign. You'll be president. You just have to pardon me. Now, when Gerald Ford pardoned him, that upset a lot of people. But Gerald Ford said it was important to do that, to not divide the country and to be able to move on from this tragedy that was Watergate. (laughs) In retrospect, it wasn't one-tenth the problems we're seeing now. But that was the excuse for pardoning Nixon. I'm sure there were some backroom or cloakroom deals to get it done. Now, as to your question... If a Republican president gets into office, will he or she pardon Donald Trump and all his cronies that are inevitably going to get arrested? Well, first and foremost, there isn't going to be a Republican president in 2024. I don't see how that's even going to happen. You're going to have a Democratic president. And if you get a Democratic president and the Democrats controlling the House and the Senate, it's going to be a while for the Repub- before the Republicans end up in the fucking Oval Office. Now, that said, let's just suppose we get a Republican as president of the United States. Will he pardon Donald Trump and all his cronies? 
And honestly, I will suggest no. No, he won't or she won't because they just want to get beyond this shit. Donald Trump, all the little Trumpleflux have created a shit show. After all is exposed, after all the indictments are out, the last thing that the Republicans will want to do is recreate what happened during the Trump years. They will want to be so far away from that, they can't get far enough away from it. So, you know, unless it's somebody like Lindsey Graham, and even then, I don't think, if Lindsey Graham were to survive and become president, he'd want to be rid of Donald Trump too. I don't think any Republican after the next two years, 2024, 2028, is even going to want to go anywhere near this whole Trump debacle. I really don't. It would be a stupid move to give Donald Trump power again. Once he's out of power, he's going to be gone, and the Republicans will be glad of it. Honestly, uh, when I was talking to this Tony Michaels earlier, he, he, he suggested something to me that actually kind of makes sense. He says the last thing he wants to see happen is the Republicans take the House or the Senate. That's why he's kind of talking it down. And one of the reasons he's saying that is because he knows all the indictments are coming out. A lot is going to be exposed. He doesn't want somebody like uh, Kevin McCarthy or one of the other Trumple fucks in any position of power. He wants to get rid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been in the thorn in the side of Mitch McConnell ever since he stepped into office. I think the Republicans are going to separate themselves from Donald Trump after the midterms. If they lose the midterms, then Donald Trump is of no value to the Republicans anymore. And if you think they have loyalty to Donald Trump, you're mistaken. They're not even going to fuck with Donald Trump. Now, the base may still follow him. But as I've said many times before, the base is so small, it doesn't even fucking matter. They can't win elections with just the base. All right, next one. Good morning, Boomer. I was listening to Michael Cohen's podcast, and his guest was Alan Dershowitz. He presented the orange turd, I think is what he's meant to say, in one of his impeachment trial. He said that Trump will not be indicated or charged for any of his crimes, including his tax problems. He believes his lawyers can prove he was targeted by the AG, James, because she said she would go after him when running for her position now. This shows preference towards him, and he believes that he won't even be indicted for the document because of privilege. I was actually thinking maybe there was a chance to get the piece of shit out, but now I'm a little discouraged, but not down and out. We the Blue will keep after saving our democracy. What's your take on my observation? Well, my take on your observation is this. If you listen to anything Alan Dershowitz says and believe anything he says and puts any trust into that, you're fucking crazy. Alan Dershowitz is a sycophant, a piece of shit. Remember, he was down on... uh, on uh, what's his name's island with getting massages from little girls. This guy is a dirtbag. He's just talking the Donald Trump bullshit. None of what he said is true. 
Donald Trump will most certainly get indicted. The DOJ can't help but indict him. If they don't indict him, there'll be more problems than if he did. The document thing is one of the things that's going to take him down. You think the New York AG is going to back off? Do you think they have a case that the New York AG was just after Donald Trump? Even if that were the case, he still broke the fucking law. It doesn't matter why she went after him. It's a fact that he broke the fucking law. What Alan Dershowitz said there on whatever show he was on, Michael Cohen's show, and I hope to God Michael Cohen pushed back on this. I would assume he did. It's all bullshit. It's all absolute bullshit. Don't believe what Alan Dershowitz says. He was once a well-known, well-respected lawyer, but he's a lot like Rudy Giuliani. He's a dirtbag. He's not a good guy. He's not a smart guy. He's not speaking the truth. He's doing what he can do to suck up to Donald Trump. And God knows why he's still doing that. If he was an intelligent man, he wouldn't. But everything he said there, and this is a note from Gordon, it's all bullshit. Do not believe any of it. See, this is what happened. They go out and they try to carry the narrative. And a certain amount of people will believe it because they heard it on radio or TV or on a fucking podcast. Don't believe it. It's bullshit. There's no way Donald Trump isn't getting at least one indictment and probably multiple indictments. Now, he may not, may get away from one of the other investigations, maybe two, but he's going to get hit by a couple of them at least. There is just no question in my mind. So, Gordon, if you listen to the Rational Boomer podcast, I hope you learned a couple of things. Don't listen to bullshit and don't assume the worst going into any situation. If you're going to assume the worst, just go in the corner, curl up in the fetal position and cry and wait for everything to go away. But, Gordon, I know you. You've written me before. You're not that kind of guy. Don't listen to this shit. I'm surprised Michael Cohen didn't have him on and rip him apart. If he didn't, I've lost a lot of respect for Michael Cohen. All right. Let's talk about respect. I have respect for a candidate for the Senate. He's currently in the House of Representatives, and he's running for U.S. Senate in Ohio against Donald Trump's endorsee, author J.D. Vance. There was... Uh, debate yesterday, and I will tell you this, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but Tim Ryan destroyed J.D. Vance. All the things that J.D. Vance has ever said, Tim Ryan called him out and fucking destroyed him. Tim Ryan did to J.D. Vance exactly what the Republicans have been doing to the Democrats for decades, and I am happy to see it. Democratic Rep. Tim Ryan and his Republican rival, author J.D. Vance, jumped into Monday night's Ohio State or Ohio Senate debate with the same goal, to paint the other as a phony who's unworthy of the job. Well, J.D. Vance can maybe write a book, but he's not much of a fucking debater. In a race that could determine which parties control the Senate over the next two years, Ryan and Vance argued over who had demonstrated authentic concern about the opioid epidemic and the loss of manufacturing jobs to China, two of the most pressing problems facing Ohio. They also fought over who had the most sensible position on abortion. 
a driving issue in this year's midterm elections, and they repeatedly jostled over who was the most credible Ohioan. Now, Vance is a a venture capitalist. He's a money guy, ties to Silicon Valley, whose memoir, Hillbilly Elegy, which was a shitty book and a shitty movie, became an Oscar-nominated film, characterized Ryan as a 20-year creature of Washington, D.C., who had lost touch with the voters of his Youngstown area district. Ryan has spent most of his adult life in elected office, framed Vance as a wine-and-cheese coastal elite who also pals around with election deniers while being subservient to former President Trump, which, of course, he is. You remember Vance when he first deciding to run. He called out Donald Trump. He talked shit about Donald Trump. But as soon as Donald Trump talked to him and offered him endorsement, oh, he was now a sycophant. You'll remember when uh, um, um, Donald Trump came to Ohio to have a rally for Vance, all right? What did he say? He stood up there. He couldn't help himself. He says, now J.D. JD Vance didn't like me at first, and now he's kissing my ass. What a way to promote a candidate. Ryan said, I don't kiss anyone's ass like he does, said Vance, said of Vance paraphrasing a line Trump used at a recent Ohio rally to describe his relationship with Vance, once a sharp critic of Trump's. Ohio needs an ass kicker, Ryan added, not an ass kisser. And Ryan's going at this the right way. He needs to be the tough guy. He's out there fighting. He says some things that maybe not all Democrats agree with, and he may be doing that on purpose to try to get some of the uh, on-the-fence Republicans or independents on his side. Vance shot back, well-rehearsed line, Tim. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. He had fended off a similar attack earlier in the hour-long debate by playing up a speech in which Ryan joked that he had to suck up to his future boss, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, in New York. I'm not going to take lectures on dignity and self-respect from a guy caught on video kissing up to Chuck Schumer and begging him for a promotion, Vance said. We're getting close to Halloween, and Tim Ryan has put on a costume where he pretends to be a reasonable moderate. And honestly, he is probably a moderate. The debate here in Cleveland, televised across the state, was first of two scheduled before Election Day. Ryan and Vance hope to succeed retiring Senator Rob Portman, and polls indicate a close rate with slim leads on either side falling within the margin of error. Vance has struggled to raise money, but is buoyed by more than $30 million worth of advertising bought by outside groups, while Ryan, a prolific fundraiser, has received little financial support from the Democrats. Ryan's overtures to moderate and independent voters have been the cornerstone of his campaign. On Monday, he frequently tried to characterize Vance as being too extreme for a state that hasn't voted for a Democrat for president since 2012. So Tim Ryan is an interesting guy. He is a Democrat. He's a good speaker. He's a solid guy. He's got an intelligent mind. Uh, But he's not a big-time Biden guy. In fact, he even said that he doesn't think Biden should run in 2024. 
I don't know if that's going to help him or not. I think he's trying to appeal to some Republicans. I'm a Democrat, but I'm with you on some shit. As much as I like Tim Ryan, you have to take everything a politician says with a grain of salt. They don't always say what they think or what they believe. They always say whatever they think is going to get them votes. But in this particular race, you don't need J.D. Vance. He is some multi-million billionaire elitist from the East Coast. He has no business being a senator from Ohio. And I don't honestly think he will win. Donald Trump has been no help to him at all. You'll get a big turnout from the Democrats, and Vance will lose. I'm convinced of that. Let's talk about Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump is flaunting the law as he travels the country speaking to his supporters at political events. Now, the guest of Lawrence O'Donnell explained at the top of the show on Monday, a former prosecutor for special counsel Robert Mueller's team, Andrew Weissman, attacked the former president, saying that proving Donald Trump committed the crime is no longer the issue. He is admitting to it on social media and on video at his rallies. It is overwhelming, and as you point out, Lawrence, every day gets bigger and stronger based on statements coming out of the former president's mouth. He's confessing to shit here. The real issue is not going to be the proof. The real issue is that is a man who has lived with no comeuppance. He has lived with impunity of never being held account, at least criminally, in the court of law for his conduct, said Weissman. The real issue is going to be temperament of justice. They clearly will have a case that is provable beyond a reasonable doubt. They will need to prove Trump's intent, Weissman said. Now, it's interesting. What happened was Donald Trump is talking in Arizona and he's saying, so I had these boxes at Mar-a-Lago with top secret documents. Well, that takes away one of his defenses. Oh, I didn't know they were there. Somebody just put them there. Now he knew. He knew. And that is tantamount to a confession that he knew he had them and he knew he had them illegally. But an even larger issue, he explained, is going to be for Merrick Garland in terms of is whether he's going to come forward or not. That is the main issue. And as you correctly say, taunting Merrick Garland. I think that is where we all should expect, should be focusing our eyes on the Department of Justice, whether they will have the backbone to go forward. You know, basically, that's what Donald Trump is doing. By putting this stuff out there, he's kind of taunting Merrick Garland, but not intentionally. Donald Trump, if he's going to taunt him intentionally, it's going to be more crass and more direct. Donald Trump just has a tough time keeping his mouth shut. And while he's having trouble keeping his mouth shut, what that does, it it uh, implicates him even more. This has been common for Donald Trump since he got into office. Every time he opens his mouth, he implicates himself into something else. I've said this before. If Donald Trump had enough sense and less ego and kept his mouth shut for four years, he wouldn't be in near the trouble he's in currently. But he's so in your face and so blatant and so flagrant, it's impossible to ignore it. 
Now, Weissman went on to say that there isn't a frame of reference for someone taunting the Justice Department the way Trump is. Because like all things, Donald Trump, there is no precedent for this kind of behavior, Weissman continued. There is a framework between the justice manual and guidelines that are the things that the department operates under in deciding whether to prosecute or not. Now, if somebody shows no remorse and is engaged in inflammatory conduct, flouting the law over and over and spinning out defenses that are patently false, that is a factor that the Department of Justice will and should consider in terms of the need to promote respect for the law and to deter people from violating the law. Weissman also said that the message it sends to the world is if people like Trump rose to lead government and were able to steal and keep government documents, including highly classified ones, for 18 months or more, for Merrick Garland, who said governing his decision on the president, that it is the DOJ precedent, that it is a compelling case, and I think Donald Trump's words only make it that much more compelling for the department to go forward. Now, Weissman here kind of questions whether they have the stomach to actually indict Donald Trump. And I, I, I don't really think that's an issue. I think Merrick Garland and the DOJ has decided they have to indict him. I mean, in normal situations, it's easier not to indict a former president because it would cause divisiveness and it would cause upheaval and it would be a lot for the country to take by indicting a former president. But what's going on now is historically unprecedented. So in realistic terms, if they do not indict Donald Trump, that is going to cause division. That is going to cause upheaval. There's going to be a lot of mad people, and they're going to be mad at the DOJ and Merrick Garland. And by proxy, they're going to be mad at Joe Biden. Donald Trump has came out came out and and pretty much threw it in Merrick Garland's face. He does it every time he talks. I don't even think he, well, he does realize it, but he doesn't realize how damaging it is to him, or he doesn't care, but it is. Everything he's done, every law he broke is egregious, much of it dangerous to the future of this country. And then when you, (laughs) when you, uh, Stick it in Merrick Garland's face. Merrick Garland is a calm, methodical man, but he is uh, a guy that understands retribution and and how he handles things. We've seen it in terms of dealing with Judge Aileen Cannon. He doesn't come out and smack him in the snout, but he does push back, and he hits pretty hard. Donald Trump's not going to get away with this. I know Weissman is saying, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I disagree. There is no other option than to indict Donald Trump. Donald Trump will be indicted. There will be more evidence that is exposed over the coming weeks prior to the midterms. It'll blow up in Donald Trump's face. The DOJ, as much as they seem like they're not doing enough, they do have a grand jury for the January 6th committee. There's a lot of things going on in the grand jury, but we don't know about it because everything in a grand jury is secret. So to think that something's not in the works for Donald Trump to get taken down, I think is short-sighted. Oh, you're being a little too precious with your image uh, 
on television or in podcast. Everything that's happening says they're going to indict him. If not the DOJ, certainly Georgia. And if not Georgia, certainly New York. And if not New York, certainly Washington, D.C. One of these, at least one of these, is going to indict him. And as I've always said, we only need one indictment. We just need one. And that will take Donald Trump out of the equation. All right. We will take a quick break, and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. So things have heated up pretty substantially in Ukraine with the Russian invasion going on there. It's funny, Russia inexplicably invaded Ukraine less than a year ago. And why did they do that? They did that simply because Vladimir Putin thought it would be a cool idea. He was pretty cocky about it. He said, uh, well, we'll wrap this up in about three days. But the Ukrainians had a different idea about this. They fought back. They fought hard. They pushed back the Russian army. They started kicking the Russian army's ass. And then Vladimir Putin was confused by this. He was told it would just take three days. But here we are going on a year and they're still fighting. Russia is losing service people. They're losing equipment. They're losing battles. And Vladimir Putin doesn't know what the fuck to do about that. Now, normal people with normal minds would say, you know what? I don't want more of my people dying. I don't want my country suffering through all these sanctions. So you know what? I'm going to cut my losses and step my ass out of this situation. But that's That's not what Vladimir Putin does. Vladimir Putin does exactly what Donald Trump does. He doubles down because in his mind, there's no way he could be wrong. And there's no way he's going to do anything that makes him look weak. So instead of doing the smart thing, he keeps pushing forward. And this has been a problem for Vladimir Putin, not only with the Ukrainians, but the people in his own country. So the Ukrainians start to ramp it up a little bit. And you might remember a while back, uh, Ukrainians bombed one of Vladimir Putin's premier battleships. Yeah, it was the star of their fleet. And the Ukrainians sunk that bitch. And that pissed off Vladimir Putin. But it didn't piss him off as much as when the Ukrainians just recently blew up one of Vladimir Putin's most important bridges. Now, here's what you have to understand about this particular bridge. It spans between Crimea and Russia. So it's an important bridge for supply chain and, and, and getting um, people across it into Russia. But here's the funny thing. Crimea was once part of Ukraine. Some people think it still is. But, of course, uh, Crimea is a part of the country that Vladimir Putin stole. 
And the Ukrainians would like to get Crimea back. And I have a feeling they might do that. So they bomb this bridge. They knock that motherfucker down, putting a uh, uh, needle in the side of Vladimir Putin. This has made him angry. I mean, he's truly butthurt. He's losing his shit. He had the audacity to come out and say, that's terrorism. Well, wait a minute, Vlad. You started this fight. This isn't about terrorism. This is something called something decidedly different. I like to think of this as, oh, I don't know, war? You entered into a war and somebody fights back to save their own country and you want to call it terrorism. But again, as I've said with Vladimir Putin, he doesn't give up. He continues to double down no matter how many of his people get killed, no matter how many people suffer in his home country because of the sanctions. It doesn't matter. It's all about Vladimir Putin, and he doubles down. So what does he do when this bridge is blown up? He sends up 84 missiles and hits civilian targets in Ukraine. Now, these targets were devastated. It it was tragic. It was a terrible thing. But what you need to understand is by him doing that gave him no edge. There was no military strategic advantage to him doing this. This doesn't get him closer to winning the war or shutting down uh, the Ukraine. It doesn't help at all. And in addition, it caused him tens of millions of hundreds of millions of dollars to send out those 84 missiles. So what Vladimir Putin is doing now is tantamount to a fucking tantrum. He's pitching a fit. Now, when you get a leader like this that's so frustrated, that does stuff that doesn't really do him any good, and it's strictly out of revenge, that means this guy's in fucking trouble. And you better believe Vladimir is in trouble. Not just with the Ukrainians. He may, they may be the least of his problems. We're hearing about things in his government, in the military, in the people on the streets. They're not feeling Vladimir Putin right now at all. And we're seeing more unrest in the streets in Russia than we've seen in a long time. And don't mistake that Vladimir Putin is very attuned with history. He's seeing the unrest in the streets. They're not even talking about worrying about a coup. They're worried about revolution. Now, there's been a number of revolutions in Russia. Last motherfucking thing that Vladimir Putin needs is a revolution. But he's hanging on an edge there. He refuses to back down, and every time he pushes harder, it makes everything worse for him. So right at this point, he's flailing. He doesn't know what to do, so he's doing fucking everything. And when a narcissist uh, dictator gets to this stage, that means he or she is in trouble and their time is short. Now, in these bombings... um, by Russia, at least eight people were killed and 24 were injured in just one of the Kiev strikes, according to the preliminary information. Um, the sustained barrage on a major city hit residential areas and critical infrastructure facilities alike, 
portending a major surge in the war amid a successful Ukrainian counteroffensive in recent weeks. It came a few hours before Putin was due to hold a meeting with his Security Council as Moscow's war in Ukraine approaches its eighth month milestone and the Kremlin reels from humiliating battlefield setbacks in areas it is trying to annex. See, that's the interesting thing. He's claiming to annex these areas, and his soldiers are getting run out of those areas. Yeah, I'm annexing it, but you don't have control of it, motherfucker. He's trying to fool people. He's trying to gaslight people. He can't win this legitimately, so he has to try to change the narrative and at least make it look like he's winning. Now, blast struck in the capital's Shevenko district, a large area in the center of Kiev that includes the historic old town as well as several government offices. Mayor Vitaly Klitschko said, now Mayor Vitaly Klitschko, you might remember, he was a heavyweight boxer, he and his brother in the United States here for some time, but they went back or he went back to Russia, not Russia, Ukraine, and he became mayor of Kiev. Now, some of the strikes hit near the government quarter in the symbolic heart of the capital where Parliament and other major landmarks are located. A glass tower housing offices was significantly damaged. Most of its blue-tinted windows were blown out. Now, residents were seen on the streets with blood on their clothes and hands. A young man wearing a blue jacket sat on the ground as a medic wrapped a bandage around his head. A woman with bandages wrapped around her head had blood all over the front of her blouse. Several cars were also damaged or completely destroyed. Air raid sirens sounded repeatedly across the country and, of course, in Kiev. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said Russian forces launched dozens of missiles and Iranian-built drones against Ukraine. The general staff of the Ukraine Armed Forces says 75 missiles were fired against Ukrainian targets, with 41 of them uh, neutralized by air defenses. The targets were civilian areas and energy facilities in the 10 cities, Zelensky said in a video address. The Russians chose such a time and such targets on purpose to inflict the most damage, Zelensky said. And of course they did. They're fucking animals, and they're trying to strike fear into Ukraine to get them to back down. Now, the morning strike sent Kiev residents back into bomb shelters for the first time in months. The city's subway system stopped train services and made the stations available once more as bomb shelters. While air raid sirens uh, have continued throughout the war in Ukraine's major cities across the country, in Kiev and other areas where there have been months of calm, many Ukrainians had begun to ignore their warnings and go out and about their normal business. Well, of course, that changed all on Monday morning. The attacks arrived in Kiev at the start of the morning rush hour when commuter traffic was beginning to pick up. At least one of the vehicles struck near Kiev National University appeared to be a commuter minibus known as the Marshrutka and a popular, albeit often crowded, alternative to the city's bus and metro routes. Nearby, at least one strike landed in the popular Shevenko Park, leaving a large hole near a children's playground. 
So these fuckers are trying to do whatever they can to try to scare them. And the fact of the matter is, this is just revenge. Again, this has no military value to the Russians in order to try to win this war. This is Vladimir Putin just pissed off, throwing a tantrum and sending off some bombs. That's not a good sign for Vladimir Putin. That's not how you run a war. You don't waste money and missiles on sites that aren't going to give you some ground in the war. But that's what he did. And that's one of the many mistakes that Vladimir Putin is making. You get tired of watching this shit with the uh, Russians and the Ukrainians. It's been tragic and it's a travesty that this even started. Again, the only reason this invasion happened because Vladimir Putin thought it was a cool idea. He wants to somehow recreate the USSR, and he's not going to be able to do it. He won't be in office long enough to do anything further. He's in some deep trouble. He's in some very deep trouble, and this is not going to work well for him. He's obviously shook. Otherwise, he wouldn't do this type of thing. Next question is, what are the Ukrainians going to hit next? They got the ship. They got the bridge. You can bet the Ukrainians have other sites picked out. And they have the weapons to get it done. What are they going to do next? And then in return, what is Vladimir Putin going to do? All this amounts to his death and destruction. Some people died on the bridge, too. I don't know if they were Ukrainian or Russian, but people died on the bridge as well. There's a lot of people dying in this war unnecessarily. This war should have never been started, and these people shouldn't be dying. Ukraine is a beautiful country, and it's being destroyed by the Russians. But at the same time, the Russian people are suffering, too, because of all the sanctions. We don't hear much about it, but you know, there's shortages of things. Nobody has money, and people are upset because they're gathering in the streets and protesting. Which in America, that isn't a big deal. But when you're in Russia and do that shit, you must be really pissed off. Because if you're a protester in Russia, you could be grabbed up and thrown in jail for God knows how long. But they're taking that risk because they're that upset. None of this is a good sign for Vladimir Putin. His days are numbered at this point. Mark my words on that. They're numbered. I don't know how long it will take to get them out, but I can guarantee you there are people in Russia right now trying to figure out ways to get that fucker out of office. Let's go to some local news, at least local to Los Angeles. And this is a stupid, stupid story. The president of the Los Angeles City Council stepped down from her leadership role Monday after an audio recording of racist remarks surfaced. Nuri Martinez apologized in a statement as she announced her resignation. I take responsibility for what I said, and there are no excuses for those comments. I'm so sorry, she said. In comments during a meeting last year, Martinez likened a colleague's black son, who was two years old at the time, to an animal and seemed to imply that the county's progressive uh, district attorney should be, shouldn't be be supported because he might be popular with black 
Angelinos. The 2021 audio from a political strategy meeting attended by a handful of Latino Democrats on the uh, council was first reported Sunday by the Los Angeles Times. Martinez said in a statement, as someone who believes deeply in the empowerment of communities of color, I recognize my comments undercut the goal. Going forward, reconciliation will be my priority. I have already reached out to many of my black colleagues and other black leaders to express my regret in order for us to heal. So she's saying I'm not a racist, yet she says racist things. I don't know. I'm a little dubious about whether she's being honest now or trying to save her ass. She can't save her job, but she's got to live her life after the fact. She's got to find another job. And it's going to be a little hard when this is exposed all throughout the country. I ask for forgiveness from my colleagues and from the residents of this city that I love so much. In the end, it is not my apologies that matter most. It will be the actions I take from this day forward. I hope that you will give me the opportunity to make amends, she added. Therefore, effective immediately, I'm resigning as president of the Los Angeles City Council. Well, at least she was smart enough to do the right thing and she didn't say, well, I didn't say that or I didn't mean that or it's taken out of context or whatever. At least she did the right thing. Whether she's not racist or not, yeah, I'm having a hard time believing it. The statement didn't say Martinez was resigning from her council seat. A representative couldn't immediately be reached for comment Monday. The audio surfaced on a Reddit discussion board this month, but it was deleted. The source of the recording is unknown, and NBC News hasn't determined whether it has been edited or not. I'm guessing it hasn't. Otherwise, she wouldn't have resigned. News of the racist comments caused politicians to weigh in throughout the state. In a statement about the remarks Monday, Governor Gavin Newsom said, Racist language can do real harm. I'm encouraged that those involved in this have apologized and begun to take responsibility for their action, Newsom said. These comments have no place in our state or in our politics, and we must all model better behavior to live the values that so many of us fight every day to predict. Now, U.S. Senator Alex Padilla, Padilla, why did I say that? I'll tell you why I said it. His name is Alex Padilla. Because um, <laughs> we got this thing at our house. Remember Napoleon Dynamite? Um, there was a part in there where they were making some food to eat, and Grandma called it, or Mom called it, a quesadilla. And we jokingly, every time we have a quesadilla, we call it a quesadilla. So, Alex, I'm sorry. It was inadvertent. I know your name is Alex Padilla. But Senator Alex Padilla himself, a former president of the Los Angeles City Council, said in a statement that the comments were racist and dehumanizing. At a time when our nation is grappling with a rise in hate speech and hate crimes, these racist comments have deepened the pain that our communities have endured. Los Angeles deserves better. The controversy also became a hot topic among mayoral candidates, Karen Bass, a Democratic member of Congress, and billionaire former Republican Rick Caruso. They are competing to replace Eric Garcetti. 
Bass said in a statement, Los Angeles must move in a new direction, and that is not possible unless the four individuals caught on tape resign from their offices immediately. Now, this is interesting. I hadn't thought about it until I just said it here. She said that she's resigning as president of the city council, but she didn't say she was resigning resigning her city council seat. I hope she intends to do that, too, because that will be like couching the issue. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be president, but I'm still going to represent my people, even though I'm a fucking racist. And even though I may be a little sorry now, are you sorry because you're racist or are you sorry because you got caught? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't trust politicians generally. They generally say things that will get them votes, not what they believe and not what is true. Now, this next story, truth comes into play once again. Former One America News host Christina Bob, who is currently serving as one of former President Donald Trump's attorneys reportedly told federal investigators last week that she is not responsible for the false declarations he signed that asserted Trump had turned over all documents that had been requested by federal government from Mar-a-Lago. <clears throat> not surprising she said that. If you remember the story, uh, the National Archives came down. They got 15 boxes of documents. The National Archives said, look, I don't think we have all of it. Let's get those, too. And uh, her partner in crime, literally, another lawyer for Donald Trump, Corcoran, wrote a document saying there is no more top secret documents. And Christina Bob signed said document. It was an affidavit, meaning it was under oath. And that's a problem when a lawyer lies to the DOJ. That's going to get her in trouble unless she says, well, my client told me this and lied to me and I I just passed it along. But as I've said before, in order to do that, she has to throw Donald Trump under the bus And that appears to be exactly what is going on. According to NBC News' sources, Bob told investigators that she was not the person who drafted the Vol statement, which was actually written by fellow Trump lawyer Evan Corcoran, as I mentioned. Bob also reportedly told investigators that Corcoran had told her to sign the statement and that she demanded, he added, in a disclaimer stating that all requested documents had been returned based on the information that was being provided to me. Well, now she's backpedaling here. Did she really say that? I doubt it because it wasn't in the document. She must not have tried very hard. A source whom NBC News describes as familiar with Bob's testimony said that she will not be held criminally responsible for the false statement. She is not going to be charged, the source said. She's not pointing fingers. She is simply a witness for the truth. The source went on to say that Bob would not be taking the fall for anything related to the statement she signed. People made Bob the fall guy or fall gal for what it's worth, and it's wrong, the source explained. Yes, she signed the declaration. No one disputes that. But what she signed is technically accurate. No, it's not. The people who told her to sign it should know better. 
So do you think they're letting her off the hook because she's a nice gal and she just didn't know what she was doing? Do you think that's what it is? No. The only reason they're letting her off the hook is because she's giving up some evidence. She is uh, testifying to the truth, as they say. The fact that she says, well, she signed is, what she signed is technically accurate. It's just that the people who told her to sign it should know better. Now, as a lawyer, you should seek out the truth. Of anyone, a lawyer should know, before you sign an affidavit under oath, you should make sure what you're signing is true, but she didn't do that because she just trusted Donald Trump, which shows a lack of judgment because we know Donald Trump is a pathological liar. She certainly knows he's a pathological liar, but she still signed it. She thought she would get away with it. But now she's not going to be criminally charged, but not without giving up the facts and the evidence. And it's going to go to Donald Trump. So she's getting off, and that's fine, as long as she gives up the evidence on Donald Trump. And she most certainly is doing that. While facing an uphill battle to unseat U.S. Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado, Republican Senate hopeful Joe Odea has received a little help to date from deep-pocketed National GOP Campaigns Group. But as Election Day approaches, he's getting a big boost from a mega-donor close to home. The Wyoming-based heir to a 19th-century baking fortune who wrote in a self-published autobiography that black people are belligerent and unwilling to pitch in to approve their own situations. Guy's name is Timothy Mellon, the grandson of baking tycoon Andrew Mellon, donated $4 million to American Policy Fund, a super PAC that has spent heavily throughout the election on ads supporting Odia and attacking his opponents, according to the Federal Election Commission reports. Now, super PACs are allowed to accept unlimited contributions from individuals and corporations, but are barred from coordinating with candidates or their campaigns. Mellon's $4 million is the largest single contribution in support of Odia's candidacy to date. It exceeds both the $2.6 million that the Denver, Denver construction CEO has donated or loaned to his own campaign since announcing his run last year, <clears throat> and the $1.25 million that Senate Leadership Fund, a super PAC affiliated with Republican Senator Mi- Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, said that it had donated to American Policy Fund on Monday. <clears throat> The 80-year-old Mellon has been a prolific donor to conservative causes, donating more than $90 million to Republican political campaigns since 2018, the FEC record records show. Now, last year, he doted, do, donated more than $53 million in stock to a fund set up by Texas Governor Abbott, Greg Abbott, to finance the construction of a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Odia's campaign did not respond to questions about Odia's relationship with Mellon or whether he shares Mellon's view on black Americans. But it just goes to show these fucking clowns are willing to take money from anybody, including racists. This kind of scenario is repeated over and over with Republican candidates. 
They get money from the worst people and they don't care because they just want the money. That's all they care about. Whether this guy will win or not, who knows? I mean, let's be honest. Lauren Boebert got voted in in Colorado. So God knows it depends on what part of Colorado you're in, whether you're going to be elected. But this particular candidate, Odia, is supported by clearly a racist billionaire. Is that who you want to vote for? Is that your guy? All right, we're getting close to the end here. We're going to wrap it up with yet another story. The latest twist in the Mar-a-Lago affair came last Tuesday when former President Donald Trump asked the Supreme Court to step into the ongoing litigation over documents seized by the FBI on August 8th. It would be easy to assume that Trump is asking the Supreme Court three of the nine justices of which he appointed to side with him and issue some kind of ruling that prevents the Justice Department from continuing to investigate whether classified documents were mishandled. The reality is far more modest. Trump is asking the Supreme Court for relief so small as to make it almost difficult to describe, and he's doing it based on an incredibly technical legal argument that is not frivolous but is almost certainly a loser, simply put, because his lawyers are smartly sticking to the plausible legal arguments rather than the conspiratorial fantasies of their client and his supporters, the Supreme Court foray is likely to amount to very little, even in the unlikely event that it succeeds. To understand Trump's appeal, we have to start with the Labor Day ruling by the district judge Aileen Cannon. The ruling had two major features. First was the appointment of a special master, which the parties later agreed on and selected Judge Raymond Deary to review the documents seized at Mar-a-Lago and resolve any claims of privilege. Second was an injunction barring the Justice Department from reviewing or relying upon any of the seized documents until and unless Deary completed his review. The DOJ appealed that order, and it was asked to uh, was asked the federal appeals court, the Atlanta-based Eleventh Circuit, for a partial stay of Cannon's injunction while that appeal unfolded. Specifically, the DOJ singled out those documents that were marked as classified, and asked the appeals court to allow it to continue doing whatever it was doing with those materials instead of having them go to Deary first, which makes sense. Those documents could not and are not owned by Donald Trump, even though in his rally he said, I want my stuff back. Now, on September 21st, a three-judge panel of the Court of Appeals, including two Trump appointees, unanimously sided with the DOJ and froze the part of Cannon's order that had blocked DOJ from utilizing the classified materials. Indeed, the Court of Appeals went even further, suggesting that Cannon's underlying ruling was itself flawed. By dint of that ruling, Cannon's injunction was frozen as to the classified documents and Deary's review was set to continue without them. In response, Cannon modified her order to exclude the classified documents. More on why this matters in just a bit. Thus, 
Although DOJ was still seeking to eventually challenge the rest of Cannon's September 5th ruling on appeal, the September 21st intervention by the 11th Circuit lowered the temperature of the broader dispute. That appeal could run its course while DOJ continued to do whatever it is doing with the materials it sees from Mar-a-Lago. Although there was widespread speculation that uh, Trump would seek immediate review of the 11th Circuit's ruling in the Supreme Court, his lawyers instead waited almost two weeks before finally asking the justices to intervene. But the filing and application to vacate the 11th Circuit's stay of Cannon's injunction does not challenge most of the 11th Circuit's ruling. Instead, its argument is that the 11th Circuit only had the authority to stay the injunction that is, to allow DOJ to proceed. The 11th Circuit, Trump's lawyers claim, did not also have the authority to keep classified documents away from Deary. In other words, Trump isn't challenging the heart of the Court of Appeals decision. He's just challenging one of the marginal implications. So his lawyers understand that they can't walk in there with some bullshit they're going to have to at least make it palatable, which they have done. But even if the Supreme Court does something with it, it doesn't really help them. Donald Trump just wants the optics that he won something in the Supreme Court, and he believes he can turn that into more confusion. The legal theory behind this argument rests on a technical concept called pendant appellate jurisdiction. To make a long story short, although most appeals in federal courts come out at the end of the case, there are a few types of interlocutory or mid-proceeding trial court rulings that courts of appeals are allowed to review immediately. One example of such an order is a ruling that grants or denies an injunction like Cannon's Labor Day decision. Trump's lawyers say the 11th Circuit did not have appellate jurisdiction to pass judgment on which documents should or should not be reviewed by Deary. As legal arguments go, it's pretty technical, but it also isn't quite frivolous. It's possible to understand the claim that it wasn't necessary in staying Cannon's injunction against the DOJ for the Court of Appeals to also limit what Deary could review. But there are three problems with this argument any one of which is grounds enough for the Supreme Court to reject it. And in all honesty, the Supreme Court's got enough shit going on. I got a feeling they're just going to not hear this. I mean, why would they? They got important things they have to deal with. If they wanted to game this one, it would take a lot of work, and they would take a lot of heat if they did game this situation. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to take it up. They're going to say they're busy, and they are busy trying to tear down democracy. So why would they get into this? I'm sure they're seeing what's happening to Donald Trump, and they know he's going down. The Supreme Court has enough trouble at this point. Why do they want to go down with him? They aren't going to want to do that at all. So I don't expect the Supreme Court will have any impact on this, and I don't think they will even hear it. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. 
don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.